the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 188, recorded Friday, March 27th, 2015. Don't forget your dongles. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us this week is Mr. Mike Brandis from Vadio. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. We're starting to thaw out up here in Minnesota. I know you got snow, but we didn't today. Yeah, it was odd. I was I was actually driving around this morning and, and had a bunch of flurries. So that was weird. Not weird for St. Louis. I mean, it's, it's actually snowed on opening day for the Cardinals before, so... Uh, also with us, not to confuse anything, but Michael Braithwaite uh, from Clear One. How are you, sir? We're doing well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Absolutely. And last but not least, uh, my favorite genius in all the world, Justin Kennington uh, from Crestron. How are you, sir? Doing great. It, uh, it's been nearly a week since it snowed here. Well, and he's in New York, so. Uh, but, but Michael, not, not all kidding aside, Justin is also the winner of last year's um, young AV professional uh, at Infocom 2014. Um, if you're watching this live and you want to nominate somebody else, I, I don't think that I don't think Michael and I are, are uh, eligible anymore for the young uh, AV professional. But but Brandis is, uh, and there's a whole bunch of other folks that uh, that deserve it. There's also a, a woman a, um, a woman of Infocom award, all sorts of other stuff. Um, I think our, our buddy George Tucker could probably win the. Uh, the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award at this point, but that's that's an old joke, so I, I should, probably shouldn't say that. Um, uh, sp- speaking of Infocom, a couple quick things. Uh, first of all, they got something really cool. This is more of an informational, hey, just so you know thing. Um, all three of your companies uh, exhibit, uh, so you're not eligible for this, so if you want to comment, you can. Uh, but they have a new thing. Uh, it's, it's a it's a first-timer. It's almost like a, a, a rookie row type thing. It's it's called the Innovations Showcase. Uh, and if you go um, to infocomshow.org um, and uh, click on the show floor section, go to the Innovations Showcase. If you are a first-time exhibitor uh, for, for Infocom, you can do all sorts of things uh, for two grand, which is uh, really, really cheap com- you know, compared to other booths. Uh, I won't ask any of you three how much yours cost. Um, but for, t- for two grand, you can get a space in this area, uh, show people your stuff, and the people attending Infocom uh, get to vote on who has the best innovative product. The winner gets $10,000 in a 10 by 10 booth at next year's show. So it's, it's kind of cool. Um, but you know, that wasn't you. I have I have another manufacturer in my in my studio too. So, uh, but uh, at this point, we're going to c- continue on to another part about Infocom. They're starting a new grant program, and uh, so our, our buddy Craig McCormick from Commercial Integrator writes this story, and the headline is "Kudos to Infocom, shame on its members." <clears throat> of which all of us are, including myself. 
Huh? Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> ICIF grant program uh, is something they started, and it's they're asking it's it's to get folks involved in the industry. There are several thousand members of Infocom. Five of us, five of them, have contributed money to this. So uh, I guess shame on the four of us. I mean, I haven't chucked in you know any any money to this. Um, Mr. Brandis, we'll, we'll kick this off with you. Is this you know, um, where should manufacturers or where should integrators be um, in standing behind this this ICIF program? Well, I think it's incredibly important for them, I mean, not only with ICIF, but any other way that they can to get young people into the industry. I mean, you think about a lot of the manufacturers, ourselves included, all three of us that have been around for a long time. You've got your your old legacy products and you've got your engineers that originally programmed them back in the 80s and the 90s. and Those people are, you know, probably getting ready to retire. And then you think about how much of your intellectual property is wrapped up in those engineers, how much of your branch and base of your code uh, for manufacturers or how much of your entire integration firm's design experience and expertise is wrapped up in a single person age 50 or over and you think when are you bringing people in to start training them how are you getting younger people in the industry so I think the ICIF program uh, is a great way to do that uh, I was talking with Craig about it uh, and personally he's like it's amazing you have this wonderful opportunity and plenty of people are passing up the opportunity to get the next big uh, designer or salesperson all because they don't want to donate or contribute money. That's a good point. Uh, Mr. Kennington, uh, now I'm, I'm not asking you for Crestron's official line on this because you guys have, have got a pretty substantial internship program, but you know, from, from manufacturers or, or even integrators or consultants, where should be we as members of Infocom be uh, with this ICIF? Well, you're not asking for it, but I'll give you some of it. Yeah, right. I mean, we do, at Crestron really, it's important to us for the reasons uh, that, that Mike just described. We have to get new blood into the company. I mean, we have an older generation retiring, uh, but we just need, frankly, university students are, are uh, cheaper than experienced guys. And so, you know, you need, you need to have a farm system uh, when you get to be a certain size. You can't just go out and hire 10-year experienced engineers all the time. You can't find enough of them. Um, so, yeah, our internship program, this summer we'll bring in 50 kids uh, you know, in college or just out, uh, investing over a half a million dollars in this thing, um, so that we can sort of grow that next generation of talent that that our business needs uh, just to survive. Um, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, I think personally we we should do more to uh, to encourage more talent in this industry. Right now, too much of the talent gets away to the Facebooks and Googles and and Microsoft big you know pure software companies of the world. Uh, and here in Pro AV, we need more and more of that. Uh, and if we don't learn how to lure and attract that kind of talent, uh, then we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Braithwaite, uh, Justin brought up a good point, uh, a farm system. Uh, so what's, what does our farm system look like uh, for AV? Well, you know, I think he's uh, spot on because um, in the past, uh, you had folks that were entering this industry from uh, the love of music. Uh, they were musicians or wannabe musicians, or they were um, they loved putting together, you know, gear. Um, they loved installing. You know, there was some reason, like um, that. You know, a lot of if you if you look at a certain age group in our industry, 
all, there's a huge percentage that they were either they love music or they were musicians or gigs. There was something about that. Yeah. Um, today, I'm not so sure that you see the same. Um, you know, you don't see uh, people who just love to. You know, uh, I can just go. I can download an app. And do this or you know in there was a time where you built your own amplifier you built your own filter arrangements you built your own speakers you you did all that and so there was this love of electronics microphones uh, you know uh, reproducing the sound that um, fed this whole industry today where people buy stuff off the shelf and download an app um, there's not that far you know that was our farm uh, system previously, and so there, I, I think Justin's point of why they're going to Facebook and Google and and play and Netflix, you know, why you see that is that that is the they have a love for the apps or a love for streaming or a love for you know. So I I agree. I think it's we not only do we need the investment into them, um, but we do have to show uh, career paths, and this is a real industry and uh, that people can enjoy for you know their whole career okay so let me let me ask this and you're right uh i've actually also met a number of, of folks who are, are former broadcasters like like myself that you know it's either musicians or, or a number of of old radio guys or old tv guys or and, and gals um so there's that aspect right you've 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 got the cables and this that and the other and the, and the mics and, and that makes sense and michael you make a good point with you know now it's it's the love of the networking it's the love of, of the programming uh, I'm going to kick it back to you and then wrap it around to the other guys. Um, so, well, let me ask this real, real quickly. How well, do we then translate that and explain to them that there is a path, if you love programming, right, if you love the networking, how do we say the projectors and, and, and control systems and, and camera systems, we got you right here. We need you. Okay. So on the networking side, uh, there's a whole group of people that are from the IT side that, that, that come in and may not have the appreciation for, hey, we're going to make you look really good on this image. We're going to make you sound really well, intelligible. Uh, we're going to make the meetings less fatiguing. Those are the kinds of aspects on that we have to embrace from the networking side to, to bring the IT professionals in and help them to appreciate what a good room sounds like. Um, they all know what a bad room sounds like because most of them are producing th that. Um, and, and if we can show them an appreciation for here's the audio side, here's how we work with a room to make it sound good, um, and and show them that there is a uh, an appreciation for you know what folks in this industry do. I, I think it will it will help them to to see the other the other side of the of the industry, the AV part. All right, uh, Mr. Brandis, uh, same question to you. How do we how do we give these these young people a path into AV if what they like is programming? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because obviously you know making robotic cameras. 90% of our product line is dependent on programming. Um, you know, our older cameras, you know, you were programming uh, a little PIC chip. I mean, our first camera had a had two or three processor chips in it. Now we're running full Linux and, you know, devices and everything like that as robotic cameras. But 
we have we have a good system. You know, we bring in you know a few interns, and of course, we're not the size of Crestron, but out of our hundred something employees, we probably have five or six interns, and forty of those uh, employees are programmers. So that's a pretty good ratio, uh, and we're you know we're doing a lot of programming. Um, we're, we happen to have a very large university with a very good computer science, you know, seven miles down the road, University of Minnesota. So we're able to, you know, pick those people out. We've got um, probably five or six of the engineers I work with on a daily basis are under the age of 25. And that's that's the future of the industry from a manufacturer standpoint. Now, how you get that into an integration standpoint, because whose first job at a, at a college wants to sit there and do math problems and, you know, design AV systems and, you know, figure out your your speaker delays and everything like that. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's a little different for us than it is as manufacturers since everything we have is built on some sort of code, control yeah. code, whether it's uh, just a basic video switcher. When you press a button, you've got to have some software to tell the video switcher what to do or, or if it's, you know, a high-end DSP system that's pretty much all built in, in a programming fashion. So, well, and I, I saved Justin for last because Justin did have an interesting path, right? Um, his his former employer we're using right now. We use Google Hangouts for for AV Week and, and all of our you know AV Nation stuff. Uh, Justin came by way of uh, of programming and the 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 you know the companies. Uh, the folks we're trying to get are, are going to. So, Justin, we you, should be fair. I'm, I was actually a hardware engineer and a and a pretty lousy coder. But still, you worked for Google. But, the, but, but yeah, your your point is it's about I came, I came with a background in pure engineering yeah. and no serious professional background in AV. And the idea that that we got to get into you know a new graduate's head is that you know you don't need whether it's pro AV or writing apps or whatever it is, you don't need the specialized knowledge. You're a kid out of college. We don't expect you to know anything except about engineering and the, the methodologies. Um, and so I think there's a line we need to draw for this discussion, actually, between that, you know, manufacturers hiring engineers side and the, you know, integrators hiring system designers and technician side. Those are really mm -hmm. kind of similar but kind of different paths you know my my approach is we need to we need to get in front of college career fairs and things and and get to the the tinkerers you know those kids who who really want to put their hands on stuff yeah. and play with things i think there's a lot in pro av for a smart engineer with that tinker sort of mindset to really have fun with you know instead of just go go write the piece of code that controls the little icon loading system for google hangouts chat live whatever this is uh, which, by the way, you have to turn off your little lower third and turn it back on to get your logo to change. I figured that out. <laughs> I, there you go. But uh, but then on the on the the integrator side of things, honestly, I I don't know uh, how that path uh, works. I think there maybe it comes down to that you know guys who like building guitar amps, uh, you know, as Michael said. But boy, is there is there less and less of that these days. Mm -hmm. Well, and there are, you know, the, the the DIY movement and the Maker Faire movement is is getting momentum. But what they're doing is they're taking, um, whether it's you know Raspberry Pi or Arduino, and they're you know, raising and lowering a, a garage door or doing some other sort of funky things. They're not building amplifiers. Well, but you know what? There's something there's something okay about that because we've just gotten to a point where the technology itself is so complex, every piece of it. Uh, that there's almost nothing, there's almost nothing that you can do from scratch. 
that, that you can't just buy in a chip or something. And that means what you need to do. Everything is an integration problem then. It means instead of going and buying a few transistors or vacuum tubes and resistors and building a guitar amp, okay, I'm going to buy a working circuit board with a microprocessor and an OS on it, this Raspberry Pi, but then you've got to still you've got to solve the integration problem. Okay, what do I want to do with this Raspberry Pi? What code do I write to make it do that? Um, so maybe there is something there you know, for the integration side of the business in that, in that the DIY movement uh, is all about integration these days instead of about building a power amp. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a, that's a good point, um, because you know one of the things um, that that the Raspberry Pi, at least specifically, I don't have much uh, experience with with Arduino. I do with with Raspberry Pi. Uh, I got one to kind of get my kids into programming, and it's it's very cool. It's a robust system um, for for basic programming. But you're right, Justin. You've got to figure out what it is you want to do. Um, it's not going to hold your hand and say, "Hey, you want to make a remote control?" No, it's, you you've got to come up with the idea yourself and then build it from there. And at the same time, you're never going to go get a bunch of sand and make that microcontroller at home. That's just <laughs> no. not a thing anymore. That's, the building no. blocks are just more complex these days. That's just life. Yeah. I, I don't I, I don't know anybody who's ever done that before. So I'm sure there's someone who, who's built their own microprocessor. Um, Gordon uh, Moore. Very nice. Very well done. <laughs> look, look him up, kids. Just to look him up. Uh, this is from a, the uh, magazine. Polycom and Microsoft have expanded their relationship. Uh, Polycom plans to deliver a new series of video collaboration solutions purpose-built for Skype for Business. Okay. <clears throat> Mike uh, Brandis, we'll, 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 we'll end with you because you're kind of a competing competitor there. Uh, but Mr. Braithwaite, Explain this to me, please. And the reason I'm saying it like this, one of the more popular booths at Integrated Systems Europe in Amsterdam this year was the Microsoft booth. The reason was their fancy schmancy new hang on the wall and do everything, including what Polycom is doing. So as a manufacturer, why would you partner with a company that's also competing with you? <laughs> well, uh, that's a pretty difficult, uh, tall order, I would say. Um, and there are, um, <laughs> there are many companies along the road that have been left in the dirt that have actually done this with, and Microsoft's actually pretty, um, uh, <laughs> has done this many, many times before. Um, in Polycom's case, uh, their revenues have, have been declining and their, their, their piece has, has come down. And basically, um, they still make the majority of their revenues from hardware products. Okay. And yet, today, it's a software world. Right, and so um, if you look at Microsoft, of course, with the acquisition, you know, with Link and with the acquisition of Skype and, and all of that, uh, you look at this and, and from a from a strategic point of view, okay, uh, how can we, uh, you know, work with this? Even though yes, we're competing, um, it's it's. It's it's a very it's a it's a very tough road. Uh, I, I've been down it myself uh, uh, with them. Um, some of the danger, also besides just competing with them, is that um, in fact I'd say bigger than competing with them, which sounds weird, is that they change their they'll they'll turn 
and so you'll be on a planning cycle, a product cycle, and you're working, and then all of a sudden they change and say, oh, by the way, we're not we're not supporting that OS anymore, and we're not doing this, and and us. A big company like Polycom can probably absorb that, but a small company, it can be devastating too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Kennington, um, I'm not, you know, there's a number of people that could equate Crestron and, and this too, but just straight up, you know, a, as a manufacturer, uh, same question, you know, isn't, isn't it kind of dangerous? Why would you, why would you partner with a company that's kind of sort of, you know, competing with you? Yes, there is danger to it. Uh, you know, Michael hit some of the right points about it. Um, but more and more, especially as the companies get bigger, uh, our size and bigger than that, um, competing and and cooperating with the same manufacturers is just more and more a fact of life. Um, you know, we do it. Uh, we have for a long time, in some sense, since since Crestron has been the core of you know automation integration systems. Um, our products can control other manufacturers' products. That's part of part of, part of okay. what we do for a long time. Yeah. Meanwhile, we start we've started branching out into some of those fields. I mean, look at digital media. Ten, ten years ago, you used a Crestron system to control an Extron switch. Yeah. Uh, now digital media has come along, and we build the switches, uh, so we can still control that other thing. And I'm not going to say that those two names are in a lot of cooperation, uh, but we have other cases. We have suppliers uh, that are also we buy some products from Barco. Uh, through some subsidiaries of theirs. Meanwhile, there are places that we compete with Barco. Um, it's just the reality. It's it's not a lot of overlap. That's no, no, I, I, just... I got you. I, I followed you for a second. It took me a second. Um, but uh, but like I said, as as companies get bigger and bigger, um, and the space we're operating in isn't getting that much bigger, uh, we're just going to start bumping in into each other more and more from the from the competitive and the cooperative side of things. Um, you know, Polycom is an interesting example for us. Actually, that CX-8000 box in this article is actually the Crestron RL uh, box. Yes. They buy it from us and are a reseller for it. Uh, some of these other products are, of course, their own. But there again, you know, we we sort of compete with Polycom ourselves uh, in, in that RL product line, but then we got together and cooperated and said, hey, let's let's not compete on this uh, and instead instead work together. It's just... It's the nature of business these days, and it makes things it, back to complexity, like with like in our last little session. Uh, but things have gotten so complex that you just live with it. This is how it is. Figure it out. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and in case you weren't following along, that where Barco and Crestron kind of overlap is is the wireless video. Um, I, did I get that right, Justin? The wireless. Well, video. wireless video is where we compete and yes. cooperate. Yes. Right. Um, but then in other other spaces, you know, some video processors and junk. It's really more their expertise and more sort of edge products for us. But you know, there's some some pieces of overlap. All right, that was the the main one that came to my mind. Uh, all right, Mr. Brandis, uh, I'll I'll give you a swing at this. Um, why uh, Why would you uh, cooperate or or collaborate with somebody competing with you? Well, you know, since its inception, Vadio's been doing that. Uh, we started making a box that you stick to the back of a Sony Pantelt zoom camera, and instead of having all your cables going up there, you have two category cables. Uh, so we've been doing that. We still sell Sony. We still sell Panasonic. And you know what? We'll control them with our controllers. So we do a lot of, you know, we can make money uh, without selling cameras. And, you know, conversely, so can Sony. New Tech TriCaster doesn't manufacture a whole bunch of robotic cameras, but they can make money off of, you know, integrating control with our cameras, for instance. So, yeah, I mean, with a lot of your competitors, there's money to be made by, uh, you know, having cross-support. Um, the days of, uh, from a design standpoint and from a user purchasing standpoint, saying, I need this entire system, I will buy it from one manufacturer, are over. You don't say, you know, 
especially when you get into some purchasing contracts where you do line by line pricing and you sub pieces out and you get into that whole you know thing, everything's got to be able to talk with everything else, uh, is what it comes down to. Now, Polycom has been working with Microsoft for a long time. I remember the f university I used to be at. We bought 850 Polycom CX600 handsets. I mean, there's a ton of money Polycom made off of a, a platform that they didn't have any real skin in the game in. So their phones could work with Link. They were optimized for Link, uh, according to the badge, uh, which I don't know how much that cost uh, them to put on there. but. Similarly, we're, we're coming out with a new box that, that integrates, and we're going to be pursuing link certification. Uh, and it comes down to the fact that you know, if you continue to do things the way you've always done them, you won't continue to be doing things much longer. And Polycom makes fantastic video conferencing equipment. But you know, five years ago, the market share of codec-based video conferencing equipment compared to now is night and day difference. I mean, heck, you can plug. We're doing this now off of laptops, iPads, iPhones, et cetera. And you know, before, if we wanted to meet via video, we'd be running out of room somewhere, and we'd have a, a huge booth that had proprietary video conferencing. And my Polycom system wouldn't dare talk to your Tamberg system. And you know, so there's no longer that amount of money for them to make, and they still have to make money for their shareholders or uh, for their company or for keep their employees employed, um, which is great. And they're finding new ways to do it. So. In that regard, who can certainly condemn them? If you ask Crestron, uh, you know, 10 years ago, if they were going to get into the video conferencing space and in earnest, the answer is probably not. But their Crestron RL system was great, and I had a few of them, and I really liked them. Uh, so, you know, you adapt, you move on, you find new markets. Uh, it, it is what it is. And as a manufacturer, if you don't do that, uh, the niche for buying everything from one manufacturer is so small um, that if you can't partner with other people's products, even if they're your competitors, you're not going to be around much longer. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you, you know, instead of a video conference, you had an ISDN or you had some sort of satellite hookup. You know, I, I don't know what that means. Tell us more about ye olden times, Tim. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Good night. 10, 15 years ago, I was in middle school. Oh, wow. <laughs> Holy Braithwaite, help me here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was elementary. Oh, <laughs> Never mind. You know what? You young whippersnappers. Uh, from We're the future of the industry, Tim. I know you are, and apparently Braithwaite and I are on our, are on our last legs and retiring here soon. Um uh, Sony has come up with a an interesting product. It, if if the brochure online looks is, is anything uh, is any indication, it looks very pretty. Uh, the picture looks gorgeous. It is a VPL GTZ1. Yay for uh, product names. Um, what it is in short, it's a 4K short throw. Let me say that part again. 4K short throw. Uh, Justin, we'll start with you on this one. It, where are we at with 4K in general? Uh, the fact that, that Sony, which was one of the first projector manufacturers to have 4K, let's give them props where they at, le at least, you know, at least, you know, where they've earned it. They were one of the first projector manufacturers to have 4K. Now they have a short throw, uh, which is one of those product categories that's kind of gained momentum over the last, I would say, three to four years. But where are we at in, in, in 
terms of infrastructure, in terms of endpoints, you know, displays, whether it's, you know, actual uh, monitors or, or projectors, and as far as uh, the transportation? Um, well, we're here on all of those fronts. I mean, these days, if you go to Best Buy and just want to spend 2000 bucks on a TV, you're getting a 4K display. That's more and more, that's all there is. Um, I was finally able this week uh, to buy a 24-inch 4K display because sometimes I just need small stuff for the lab, but it needs to be 4K for me. Um, as far as infrastructure and distribution, HDBase-T has been there ready to do 4K uh, really since its beginning. Uh, that helped us in digital media to get our complete solution, which we now have done shipping ready. So you can distribute, you can switch, you can display 4K. Um, a lot of PCs these days can output 4K, um, and there are a few other sources. So that only leaves that uh, uh, that content piece of the puzzle. You know, a little bit exists here and there. You can generate it from your PC. So any of the high-end desktop visualization type guys can take advantage of these pixels. Yeah. Um, it's not yet easy to go watch a movie at home in 4K. Uh, there are ways to do it, but but not a lot now. So this is sort of this is a prediction of mine coming true that we're going to get there. It's an economic inevitability because this is because the way you build TVs guarantees that we'll get to 4K for free. Um, so now we just sort of wait for the content to catch up. You know, it's it's 1999 all over again, and high definition TVs look cool as hell. Uh, now we just need one or two channels to show videos of nature loops over and over again in 4K. Amen. And then it'll be 2000. I, I completely agree with that. So, uh, and actually, speaking of that, uh, Crestron is uh, there was an announcement I think that was this week that uh, you guys are, are starting to phase out some of your, I guess, quote unquote HD products for 4K. Uh, the the scaler uh, is gonna kind of getting phased out, and, and for uh, you know the replacement is is your 4K scaler, so it's it's there. So what we have done, uh, it actually started several weeks ago with some with some different products. Um, last April first. 2014, we shipped our first generation, our first set uh, of 4K products for digital media. Some inputs, some outputs, some receivers, etc. What we did in January of this year is announce that, uh, that we had discontinued all of the 2K products that those replaced. And then also because, you know, you don't want to piss people off by saying you can't buy the cheap one anymore. Yeah. We went ahead and dropped the price of all the 4K gear to exactly match the 2K gear that we just discontinued that it replaced. So part of us, you know, that was a part of a long-term strategy for us in this transition, actually. We knew uh, that probably over time we would, you know, beat the, beat the cost out of our 4K products. This gave us nine or ten months of real field experience, frankly, to make sure everything worked as perfectly as we hoped. Um, and it gave us uh, the ability to, to now say, you know, you can buy a 4K system uh, without paying any cost premium uh, at all. And so that's sort of... The message that we have going forward is 4K is here, 4K is here to stay, and there's there's not even any point to buy 2K infrastructure now when when the systems you design are supposed to be good for three, five, seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, to go put in a 2K infrastructure in a world where 4K costs the same, uh, you know, isn't isn't the right decision for most places. Um, I'm going to ask somewhat of a silly question, but somewhat of a serious question. Whose marketing decision was it to release anything on April 1st? I mean, seriously? Um, well, it comes down very simply to we decided a long time ago we only release things on the first of the month. But it, it's um, April 1st. That's April Fool's Day. You don't do that. But I can't go 60 days without releasing a new product either. So I know it's tough, but uh, the products are real. They do exist. All right. You could, you could still get them on April 2nd. Come on. You, you could have done it on April 2nd. 
<laughs> in fact, we probably did. We tend to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's done. It's done. Uh, we'll ship it tomorrow. Yeah. <clears throat> I've, I've had that conversation with Chris John before. Anyhow. Uh, Mr. Brandis, where are we with 4K? Uh, and, and whether it's Vadio or in general, where are we at with 4K? Uh, well, several things. Um, 4K is becoming more and more, um, again, just like Justin said, it's kind of like, you know, when you went from standard def to high def, you know, people are always like, well, where's the high def content? Well, it doesn't matter. You get a, you get a display, you get a projector, you get infrastructure that's 4K ready when 4K content's ready. Uh, and whatever you send down that pipe, it doesn't matter. It's ready for 4K. Um, so what does that mean? That means if someone comes out with a 4K 30 camera, uh, yeah, it's not your ideal 4K 60, but you know what? It'll do 1080p a whole lot better than any other 1080p camera, and you can grow up into 4K 30. So, I mean, it's still not there from uh, everybody, let's start recording our lectures or doing video conferencing in 4K, but it's there for I need a short throw projector to um, run nonstop display in a retail store or the 4K ready content display infrastructure everything it's great, and the niche of people actively using it now is growing. Before, it was just a few digital signage manufacturers. Um, I went to Four Winds, and they had a few LG 84-inch 4K monitors, and I was like, holy crap, this looks really good. And now you see those same 4K monitors you know, starting to grow. You know, I'm in a lot of airports uh, as a function of my job, and you're starting to see what used to be these huge honking Samsung Magic Info displays that weighed roughly the same as a boat, are now these streamlined 4K displays that are showing incredibly clear content. You're able to fold down the size of your windows and get a whole bunch more on the screen. And then, again, uh, I wrote an article back in September for uh, AB Technology Magazine, and I talked with Justin and, and uh, Tom over at Crest John about 4K, and, you know, I've my laptop outputs, you know, way more than 1920 by 1080. So when I walk into a conference room, why is my larger display a much lower resolution than my laptop? Yeah. That becomes a problem when you're used to organizing things or you've built your PowerPoint, uh, you know, in one resolution, you throw it up on the screen and all of a sudden it looks crunched and garbled. You know, these are challenges that are only going to become more problematic and aren't going to go away. I don't think any computer manufacturer is going to be like, you know, guys, we screwed the pooch. We're going to stop outputting anything over 1920 by 1080. Our bad. Um, you no, know. they're going to they're they're gonna continue to give us screwy resolutions, too. Yeah, and weird connectors. Yeah, so yeah. These, are the, these are the problems that we have to adapt to. And you know what? People are buying a whole lot more Apple computers for their workforce, and they are buying Sony projectors for their conference rooms. Uh, so we react to those to that information, we have to, or uh, we all wind up uh, standing next to each other in the unemployment line. That's true. We've, we've talked about that a lot today. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Braithwaite, uh, where are we at with 4K, sir? So I think uh, 4K is, is already here. It's already uh, well-established. And what I would say is um, instead of focusing maybe on one particular uh, resolution, um, we really should talk about higher higher resolution. Um, you know, Simpty, who creates lots of different resol resolutions, and if you're a part of the computer industry, you adopt certain ones. If you're part of the uh, media industry, uh, movie industry, you adopt others. Um, so 
there is a little bit of confusion out there as well. Um, the uh, announcement on the 2020 Olympics in Japan uh, that will be broadcast in 8K, that's like, um, uh, that, that throws a wrench into a, a lot of people uh, and even some, some people who want to uh, upgrade or buy and maybe, you know, oh, maybe I should consider this. Uh, Apple, uh, Mike brought up Apple, and Apple's a great uh, example of somebody who loves throwing wrenches into everybody's world. And um, Apple will, will produce products that are in the middle of all of these different resolutions, which they already are selling right now. Uh, you guys probably saw the announcement of Apple. Um, the new MacBook doesn't have HDMI, doesn't have DisplayPort. It is only going to be using USB Type-C connectors for the video outputs. Um, so if you look at all of these uh, video distribution technologies and, and everybody uh, that's that's relying on HDMI or DVI or, or any of these other type connections, um, there's a serious uh, uh, Apple is is one that will put a serious dent. Um, because anybody that's coming into a presentation room, a, co a conference room, anybody uh, that has a MacBook Pro coming in, they're probably going to be connecting virtually. And so um, the, I'm going to walk in, I'm going to have my presentation or give my presentation, and there's not going to be any connection. That's my opinion, and that's, I believe, what, what everybody would say is, is going to happen. However, when you do need a physical connection and so forth, um, not many people are going to have the USB-type connectors on their wall plates, on their pop-up boxes, on their, if you really think about that, um, and USB 1.1 or 2.0-type connections aren't going to cut it. So anybody that has that infrastructure in place, all of a sudden somebody walks in with a MacBook Pro, there's going to be egg on somebody's face and, and, and customers that are upset because they can't put an image up on there. But that, anyways, that... Yeah. All right, that works. Well, um, they're Mac users. They know to bring their dongles. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> the, one, the one thing that Apple is, is really good at, yeah. and it, they, they're better, you know, they're good at all sorts of things, but uh, it is, to Justin's point, is selling dongles to make the transition easier, right? Yeah. Um, in all seriousness, this is going to be a transition to, to Michael's point. There won't be um, tomorrow, and, and I, there might be some, you know, one or two conference rooms out there, but there's not this connector out there sitting right here in a bunch of conference rooms. There's either wireless connections, uh, what, you know, talked about that earlier, or there's some sort of, you know, still VGA, and don't throw things at me, but there are still VGAs, and they were just put in yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. and HDMI and DisplayPort and, you know, a fire, you know, probably not FireWire, but, you know, uh, Thunderbolt and stuff. So, all right, uh, let's wrap this up, guys, with one thing here from SCN, uh, avnetwork.com. The second annual SCN Stellar Service Awards. Um, and this just lists a bunch of folks that are doing really cool things really right. Um, and as luck would have it, I have three manufacturers on, so I'm going to ask a, a, a simple question. Uh, Brandis, we'll start with you. How do you provide really good service uh, to a large swath of customers and clients? You have integrators um, and you have end users. You've got you know education folks and, and technology managers uh, from courts to corporate to classrooms. From from Vadio standpoint or from your standpoint, how do you how do you provide really great service to those folks? Uh, well, it's it should be incredibly simple, but a lot of people, uh, you know, complicate the process. It starts with one um, 
doing and being as proactive as you can on the front end. Um, a tech support uh, or a support um, interaction that begins only with a frustrated phone call is not a is not a good support interaction. Mm -hmm. Support begins when you write your product manual. Support begins when you train and when you announce products. You don't just say, "Hey, we're offering this device and it'll do this, this, and this," and provide no supporting documentation. And when someone goes to buy it, they're really frustrated configuring it, and then they're calling your support, and that's a nightmare. Um, so increasing your technical training up front, um, doing more and more technical training, offer offering design and support um, solutions assistance. You know, hey, we'll validate your system design to make sure that everything you spec will work. Um, that's a great example of doing support ahead of the actual need for support, uh, which should hopefully in turn reduce the amount of need for support. And then on the back end, you know, doing everything you can to resolve an issue. Uh, I work very closely with our support team, um, and I know what a not incredibly fun job it is to sit on the phone and get yelled at for eight hours a day or sit on the phone and work through incredibly nuanced problems uh, all day. Uh, but it's necessary, and having, a, and having a team of people dedicated to problem solving uh, and dedicated to resolving the issue instead of, uh, putting unnecessary pressure on call times and answering enough calls and responding to emails. That's what it comes down to. Uh, you can send a bunch of emails, you can spend a bunch of time on the phone, but if you don't resolve any issues, you're not really do accomplishing anything. Yeah. So once manufacturers, you know, wrap their head around what the purpose of our support is, our support isn't to handle 200 calls a day, it's to resolve customer issues. You, you frame the issue a whole lot better and realize that that starts well before customers are installing your systems that's a really great answer. that's probably one of the better answers i've heard from uh from a manufacturer so very good uh mr braithwaite uh what does customer service great customer service look like to you well i i i can't i gotta admit that uh that answer mike gave was really good and <laughs> I, I appreciate it uh and and he's preaching to the choir here because we feel yeah. the same way um but what i would uh extend on to that or add add to that is um, being so, I agree that as much upfront effort as possible I, is the very best thing. However, even with all of that upfront help, um, there's still going to be times where somebody's in a pinch and, and all this. And I would say um, it's really important that the service or the ability for you to, to help the customer is available when they need it. Um, There's so many companies that depending on where they are, if they're on the East Coast or they're on the West Coast, and depending on where you are, you might have to wait a whole day before you actually talk to anybody to find out something that was missing or some pins that were uh, out or, or some. And so, um, what I would say is, if you have customers in, in a certain time zone, or you have, you know, we, at Clear One, we have we have customers in in every time zone on the planet. Believe me, I get I get calls and emails in every single time zone. And if you have the ability to uh, take that uh, call and help that person in real time and not wait a 24-hour cycle. I believe you also are providing um, very good su support for that because there's nothing more frustrating than that. And a lot of times, somebody's looking over their shoulder and saying, you know, hey, when when is this going to be done? And if you can't get to somebody or you can't get the information you need, there is nothing more frustrating than that on a on a job site. Yeah, I would agree with you. 
because I, I've been there. <laughs> Mr. Kennington, uh, what is, uh, whether from Crestron's point of view or your, your personal one, uh, how do you guys provide really great customer service? Well, I mean, me too. I want to echo Mike's comments that do the, do the work up front uh, and your life will be much easier. You know, we've got a whole department whose job is to vet customer designs, help them with their designs. You know, they come to me when they don't know how is this new thing going to work and plug in. Uh, you know, get, save yourself the trouble uh, by making them have an easier time up front. But what, what, I've, what I've learned really at Crestron about customer service, it's, very, it's a lot of work, but it's very simple. Uh, you, you make commitments and then keep those commitments. Um, one thing we don't do is, is get to the end of a tech support call and say, you know what, it's not working, send it back, we'll give you a refund. Um, because that doesn't help anybody, really. You got your money back, but now you've got a hole in your rack and, and no video on the screen. Uh, so what we, what we sell really are not black boxes. We sell black boxes and the absolute promise that no matter what it ends up taking, we will make the stupid thing work. Now, 99.5% of the time, it works exactly like it's supposed to. It plugs in. Everything's good. Um, but when it comes down to it, I mean, I put engineers on airplanes to other states, to other countries uh, to go figure out what's wrong with something. You know, we've got several levels of tech support, of course. We're a pretty big company. Uh, but things make their way all the way to me, all the way to our CTO, Fred. Um, and if we have to, we will go out there with real engineers, with real oscilloscopes, and figure out exactly what's going on uh, and fix it. Uh, I had to learn it when I started here five plus years ago uh, because advanced tech support would call up and say we need to take an engineer and send him on site and I would say you can't you can't do that you're gonna screw up my new product schedule <laughs> um, but but what I eventually learned is what I said a minute ago you know it, if somebody else sells a five hundred dollar box and we sell a thousand dollar box we're actually selling that thousand dollar box and the promise that that no matter what it takes we will make the stupid thing work for you yeah uh, so that's it. It's just that level of commitment, uh, which is easy to say and easy to understand, uh, but just sometimes an awful lot of work to implement. That's all. Well, it, it, it's it's work to implement, but here's the thing, and it's it's the crazy thing. And I'm not going to mention any any you know any c companies' names, but there's times where you might get a a wink and a promise, but coming through on it is is a whole other story. Yep. Um, so, you know, kudos to all three of you guys for really, really great answers. I appreciate it. Uh, all right, guys, that's that's going to do it for us. Uh, Mike Brandis from Vadio, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on. Where can people find you or uh, any of your uh, your writings? Yeah, I write on Aviation TV every Friday. I give you five articles you may have missed. I occasionally still write at MikeBrandisAV.com. I tweet a lot. Uh, if you happen to... Nine times out of ten, I'll be the person training you on new Vadio products. So if you ever want to stop in for an online training, love for you to listen to my dulcet baritone uh, <laughs> as it washes over you in the afternoon on some product knowledge. That would be awesome. We should, we should form a, a, a barbershop quartet, just the, you know, you and, yeah, just the four of us. Uh, Mr. Brandis, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mike Braithwaite from Clear One, thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me, as always. Uh, uh, I did want to put a plug out for the upcoming Infocom Expo in June. Okay. Um, I have a session uh, in the uh, university, uh, Infocom University, that's called uh, Professional Audio Video Streaming Over Internet Protocols. Very good. And cool. uh, that's Wednesday, June 17th. So if anybody's there Wednesday, June 17th, the class is from 1230 to 2. It's worth CT. Uh, S renewal credits, of course, and uh, please come by and uh, heckle or or uh, 
come by and uh, take a listen. And they can find they can sign up for that on the Infocom uh, University. That is correct. All right, very that good. Is correct. Yeah, once once you actually do sign up for Infocom and you haven't yet, go get your your, your registration. You got access to all of those uh, all those classes. You can sign up everything from the you know the three day uh, boot camps to the Super Tuesdays to you know like Mr. Uh, Braithwaite's class. Uh, last but not least, Mr. Justin Kennington, thank you, sir, from Crestron. Well, thanks for having us. Absolutely. You know, it's always fun. It's always fun. Where can people find you and or Crestron? Well, I can neither read nor write uh, in English, so you can't find me anywhere easily. But, uh, but Crestron.com slash 4K, Crestron.com slash digital media, uh, the best place to keep up to date on what I've been up to. All right. And uh, Justin will be uh, at the in the middle of the Crestron booth for all three days. Uh, I would and, not miss it for the world. I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't. So, uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't don't follow me. Um, at this point, I'm just biding my time until football season starts again. <clears throat> In St. Louis, some crazy thing called baseball is getting all kinds of coverage it's stupid um but go by the website if you would please avnation.tv avnation.tv you'll find brandis's uh friday five uh you'll find all sorts of really great people doing all sorts of really great great things uh and then they just let me hang out um from time to time uh live live which is a live staging event show uh the social uh av social which is social media and marketing um, our buddy uh, Chris Neto has started something called the AV Hashtag. Uh, it's a little game that we play with the AV Tweeps on Twitter. So if you're into that Twitter sphere thing, go uh, go check that out if you would. Uh, but everything starts and, and ends at the AV Nation website. AVNation.tv, AVNation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week. AV Week.